Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. Well, this month will have been five years since our family arrived in West Lafayette. So it's, it's been fun to reflect upon our transition here. And we were greeted with palm branches and all. So here's some pictures. There it is. Our pom-poms. Pom-poms. <laughs> so when we arrived, we actually uh, pulled into to the Allen's house. So we had uh, driven a, a Penske truck that we had moved our stuff with. And, and uh, our house that we were going to move into wasn't going to be ready for several weeks. So we just parked it in their pole barn for a couple of weeks. And, and so then the first house we actually lived in was the Deers. So they were away on Christmas break. And so to this day, our kids still consider the first house we lived in in West Lafayette the Deer's house, you know, so. But it was, uh, it's been fun to reflect upon that transition here. But before we arrived here, we were uh, based in Springfield, Missouri area. I was taking classes during the week at Assemblies of God Theological Seminary, uh, working on my Master of Divinity. I actually get to finally resume those classes next fall. It's been five years of trying to figure things out. So it'll be fun to get back to that, yeah. Um, but so what we were doing though is I was taking classes in the week, but then on the weekends we would travel and talk about missions and, and part of the testament to the goodness of God. So we came here early November and uh, were voted in to be the next uh, lead pastors. And, but we still had a couple of services on the calendar and they were actually with the churches I grew up in. Wouldn't it, isn't it God that would work that out? Like there's no way I could have planned that because you schedule services like a year in advance, you know? God knows, and he orders our steps as we follow him. And, and so it was really cool to then be able to go back and report to uh, a church in uh, the northwest suburbs of Chicago and the church that I kind of grew up in uh, through youth group. And then uh, Stone Church, where Shelley and I uh, had served and before we went over to Sudan. So we got to go visit both of those churches and just give, honestly, just say thanks for your support, here's what God got to do in missions in 10 years that we were doing that work. And so it was really cool. But, but what that meant was it was eight hours in the car, both ways. So as we were in Springfield, Missouri, we had eight hour road trips. But the cool thing is, is then it gave Shelly and I a lot of time for prayer and conversation, just asking the Lord, God, what do you want us to do as we lead a congregation uh, here in West Lafayette? And the two things the Lord spoke to our hearts was Jesus and community. The first series that we did here was Live Like Jesus Matters. So five years ago, I won't quiz you to see if you remember any of that. It was a little while ago. But then the next series was Life Together. So we've approached that lots of different ways, but I will say this, in our five years here, that really has been the ongoing, how do we love Jesus more and how do we live in better community? And we've approached that through lots of different ways. And, and so what I'd like to do today is, is really just continue that conversation Take a look at a passage in Matthew chapter 16 and see what Jesus has to say about himself and this wonderful community that we get to live in together called the church. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you do. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 today. Should be a familiar passage if you've been here at all in the last few years. And uh, I'm going to also invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 16, we stand because it's different as we read God's word to us and then as I share what God's laid on my heart connected to it. So Matthew chapter 16, looking at verse 13, 
says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, <clears throat> but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What a bold verse. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. <clears throat> So we left off last week in our Better Together series with a message on Jesus and money. We talked about how the way you manage your financial resources determines who is securing your life. Uh, I was thinking about, I had shared a little bit, and of course Shelly had as well, and, and so my first year in college, I went to a, a state university outside of Chicago, and, and really what I realized and what God showed me my first year in university is I had been trying to secure my life. I, I knew that I didn't really have financial resources to get to college, so I was looking for avenues by way to get there. So I was awarded a, uh, what's an ROTC, so Reserve Officer Training Corps Scholarship. So it was going to pay my way through college. But then my first year in college, God challenged me. And he said, what about the plans I have for you? I don't know, our default is that we want to secure our own lives. It's hard for us in the setting in which we live, in the culture in which we reside, to allow God to do it. But I will say this, you will never be disappointed if you allow God to be the one that secures your life. So then I, I transitioned from that, that state university down to a, a university in Florida and continued my studies there in education and in Bible and theology. And uh, my life has never been the same. And I can tell you, God has done a far better job of securing my life than I ever could have. He really has. And I'm thankful for that work. If you understand that God is the one secure in your life, what you do is you, you follow God's money plan by doing three important things. And I, I mentioned these in the context of last week's message. So if you missed it, you might want to go back to that because I shared the scriptures behind all of these. But there's three things that you, that you see in terms of God's money plan. Number one, God gives you resources to take care of your family. So you need to do that. Take care of your family. And the second thing is, is that you help those in need. And the third thing is, is you advance God's mission locally and globally. If you do those three things, what that says is you're trusting God to secure your life instead of you trying to do it on your own. That's God's money plan. Handling money in this way allows God to do the work. And I'm telling you, you want him to do the work. You really do. And, the, and this matters because in our message on Jesus and in times, we found in Matthew chapter 24 that in the last days, the days that we're living in, if you're unsure about that, go back to that message too. What it says in Matthew 24 is that many will fall away, but that those who endure to the end will be saved. That's what it says. And in that message I shared, I wanted to take the next couple of months talking about those qualities, those characteristics that lead to endurance. Because I want us, I want you to be among those who endure to the end. How many would like to be among that group, right? Amen. Absolutely. So that's what I want. So then there, what we find in scriptures, there's things that we should put in place in our lives to live amongst that group. And one of those things is connected to how we handle our resources. Because it can determine whether we fall away or whether we endure to the end. Why? Because money is a rival God that challenges our allegiance to King Jesus. 
It just does. But if we instead use money in the three ways I already mentioned, we allow God to secure our lives and we keep money in its proper place. And as we continue our series today, we want to talk about one of the other important things as it relates to faithful endurance. So that's what we're going after. How do we faithfully endure, okay? And so this message is connected to that. One of those qualities is living in community with other believers. It's vital. For us to endure to the end, we must live well in Jesus' community. We must. We need to be actively and meaningfully engaged in a local church to be among those who endure to the end. And our passage explains what kind of community the church is. We find in our passage that the church is a Jesus community. First and foremost, the church is a Jesus community. Uh, Jesus only uses the word we translate as church twice in the New Testament book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, he will build his church. What an awesome promise. He will build his church. And the word Jesus uses for church is the word ekklesia, because the New Testament is originally written in Greek. So that's the Greek word he's using. And so then the question is, what does that Greek word mean? We translate it as church, but what did it mean in its original form? It really means a community of people, or more accurately, an assembly of people. Ekklesia comes from the word ekleo, meaning called out. So as the church, we're simply an assembly of people called out for a purpose, namely to make disciples. Making disciples is God's kingdom advancing work. So an ecclesia is more a movement of people than a static structure in a city somewhere. That's really what we find is the, the more strict definition. As shared in a message in August from our Acts series, the church is, the early church met in homes an informal setting that moved from place to place largely because of persecution. So then where did the word church come from? Right? That's, that's a good question. And I had shared in, in the previous messages that in AD 313, Constantine instituted freedom of religion throughout the Roman Empire, and soon after, he declared himself a Christian, and so then everything changed in the Roman Empire. Within a decade, official buildings where Christians met they were called basilicas, and they became built. So they started to have buildings. And, and so later, Germanic, uh, Germanic cultures used the term kurica, or in modern German, kirche, and that's where we got the word church from. So it's a German term. Kirche is where we got the word church from. But something interesting happened in the 1500s. As Greek and Hebrew manuscripts found their way into the hands of church reformers, it was decided that scripture should be translated into a language the common people should read. Because up to this point, the Bible was only in Latin for religious leaders to use, but now people like William Tyndale decided it was time to change all of that. So the reformers got Greek and Hebrew manuscripts, they started translating the Bible. It was no longer going to be in Latin, they were going to put it in English, so the modern day man or every man and woman could read it. And so what happened is Tyndale had the audacity to actually translate the term ecclesia and translate it according to what it meant instead of superimposing the, the German word kirche. So instead of church, he used the word congregation. That's really a better translation. And if that wasn't offensive enough, the Greek text led him to use elder instead of priest, repent instead of do penance. So like Tyndale was going through and like changing everything. And throughout the New Testament, 
what we find is Tyndale correctly reflected the Bible's original emphasis on church as a movement rather than a location, on people rather than a building, and on the message of the gospel rather than traditions, liturgy, and hierarchy. Man, translation really matters. And you want to know how the church leaders in the 1500s thanked Tyndale for his incredibly important contribution to our understanding of Scripture? They hired a band of soldiers to find him, which took 10 years, and they arrested him. A tribunal of the Holy Roman Empire then condemned him as a heretic and turned him over to civil authorities who bound him to a beam, strangled him with a rope, burned his body, and scattered his remains. So do we think the term church is hardwired in our brains? Holy cow. Like that's how they thanked him for helping us have a better understanding of what the church really is. What we need to understand this morning is more than a building, the church is an assembly of people called out with a purpose. It's a people. So when referring to church, Jesus does not make reference to a physical structure, but to a community of believers. Jesus did not die for events, programs, and buildings. Jesus did not say he would, what he did not say is that he'd build a crowd of people, put them in buildings. He said he would build a movement of community-driven people who advance God's kingdom in the world. That's what he said he would do. The church is a Jesus community. This is why we said the church never closed this spring or summer. It never did because the building, this building is not the church. We are the church. We are churches sitting in living rooms this morning. Our church is all over the greater Lafayette area. They're in overflow rooms. And no one, I mean no one, can close the church. No one. History proves this. Roman emperors couldn't halt it. Plagues couldn't kill it. Persecution has not ended it. Nothing can stop the people of God movement known as the church. Nothing can stop it. The church is people. The church is community. The church is a Jesus community. And our passage shows us our Jesus community, it's unshakable. Our Jesus community is unshakable. The context of our passage this morning is Jesus, he's traveled with his disciples 30 miles north of Galilee to the district of Caesarea Philippi. And in this region is the ancient city, a Roman city, at the southwestern base of Mount Hermon. And in the district of Caesarea Philippi is this rocky hillside filled with shrines dedicated to false gods, the primary temple being to the god Pan. So here's some pictures of that area. If you were to go visit it today, we were just there with a group of uh, people from Connection Point in March. It's a, it's a neat place to go and visit. As we read scripture, we see these places are real. Like archaeology proves it. So we know that this place where Jesus was at was a place of many temples. And next to the shrines is a large cave. It's pictured here, where a powerful cave or, or um, stream at once flowed. And so the temple to Pan had actually stood over this entrance. It's going to be in one of the pictures that's listed there. And the worshipers of Pan would perform human sacrifices in the cave and cast the remains into the natural abyss in the back. Crazy, right? This is a place of human sacrifice. This is where Jesus says the gates of hell shall not prevail against my advancing kingdom. This evil place. And so in this, in this region, Jesus tells Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. Obviously, rocks provide a firm foundations for buildings. And, and Joseph, the father of Jesus, he was a builder, both a carpenter and a mason. If, if you go to the land of, of Israel today, you'll see that buildings past and present are built with rocks. It is the land of rocks. They're everywhere. Every, no shortage of rocks in that land. So what you find is, is Jesus is talking about rocks, but the question is, what rock is Jesus referring to? I will build my church upon this rock. What rock? That's the question. 
And it seems that, I, that Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 51. Jesus loved to quote from Isaiah. So whenever we look at Jesus speaking, it's helpful to look at the Old Testament to see if he's referring to something there. And it seems like he is here in Isaiah 51. Here's what it reads. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you are hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. So upon this rock, Jesus says, look to the rock from which you were hewn. The church is built on this 4,000-year-old quarry of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, Joseph, Moses, Deborah, David, Solomon, Isaiah, Mary and Joseph, Peter, John, Paul, and a great cloud of faithful witnesses. We've got some New Testament passages that kind of expand our, our understanding of this. First Peter chapter 2 says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. That's us. Paul declares in a letter to believers in uh, Ephesus, he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. As believers, we need to understand we've come out of this 4,000-year-old quarry. Upon this rock refers to the cornerstone Jesus and a vast quarry of saints dedicated to the purposes of God. You represent, so think about this very personally this morning, you represent a very important stone in God's building. You do. We all do. Jesus is the cornerstone upon which the New Testament church is built with current members forming a structure to house the Spirit of God. What a holy and awesome privilege that is. I want to keep reading from Isaiah 51 because when Jesus quotes, this was, this was kind of the rabbinic way. You quote a little part, but it actually implies the whole part. Look at Isaiah 51. If you want to know the rock from which you were hewn, here's what it says. Listen to me, <clears throat> you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord, Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he <clears throat> was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving in the voice of the song. Give attention to me, my people. Give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out for me. I will set my justice for the light of the peoples. My righteousness draws near. My salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and my arm they wait. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke, and earth will wear out like a garment, and they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, nor be dismayed by their revilings, for the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever forever. 
and my salvation to all generations. This is what Jesus is referring to, upon this rock. So if you're struggling to find hope right now, you need to look to the rock from which you were hewn. Look to that rock. The Lord will bless and comfort you, Isaiah says. He can turn the wasteland of your life into a magnificent garden. What a promise. He can bring you joy and gladness so that thanksgiving springs forth from your mouth. He will establish his justice, he says. His salvation has gone out. It's readily available today. The earth is passing away. He says, so lift up your eyes to the heavens. So let us, as his people of the light, store up our treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy. I love that tie into that in this passage and what we talked about last week. We need not fear man, because this is what Isaiah says, because the righteousness of God lasts forever. His salvation is for us and for all generations. What a promise this morning. So when challenge or troubles come this week, recall this verse. Remember the rock from which you were hewn. What a great verse. Because our Jesus community, it's unshakable. And our Jesus community advances the kingdom of God. So we live in this unshakable kingdom, but we also see that this Jesus community advances a kingdom of God. After speaking about building his church, Jesus refers to the gates of hell. This metaphor for death, and, and it's a striking contrast when we think about the living God. In the place where false deities required human sacrifice, Jesus is the living God. I love that. One of the, our gods on this earth bring death. But what does Jesus bring? Life. Jesus promises, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's understood that Jesus, in this quote, so what is he doing? So again, he's quoting scripture. It seems he's quoting from Genesis chapter 22. Because here's what we find when he says the gates of hell, let's look at Genesis chapter 22 to see what Jesus is referring to. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. So because Isaac has been, or, or Abraham has been willing to sacrifice Isaac, here's what the Lord promises him. I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that's on the seashore. And look at this verse. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. You want to know what the gates of hell are? It's the gates of our enemy this morning. But what does the promise of the Lord is? We will possess those gates. We advance his kingdom. Now to help us understand the significance of how this passage relates to us, okay, because this is a promise to Abraham, right? But here's what we find in Galatians chapter three. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Hallelujah. Look, if you grew up in kids' church, one of the favorite songs for any kid with ADD or ADHD to sing is Father Abraham, right? Marching, shooting, like smacking the kid next to you, you know? We would never do anything like that, of course. I'm sure you didn't either. But Father Abraham, like that's what we were singing in kids' church. Why? Because of this verse. And so we have this promise as Abraham's offspring, we will possess the gates of our enemies. Paul in Romans chapter 11, he talks about us as followers of Jesus grafted into the family of Abraham. We as the offspring of Abraham are promised this in Genesis chapter 22. He tells us the offspring of Abraham will ever increase. They will multiply with every nation blessed because of what Jesus does. That's ultimately what this promise is pointing to. 
and because what we as the church then get to advance and do on the enemy's gates. Think about this. For 2,000 years, our Jesus community has been waging war against lesser gods, destructive gods like Pan, Zeus, and the imperial cult, which let me tell you, all of those gods faded. Why? Because our God is greater. Our God is greater. False gods, what do they do? They focus on self, materialism, pride, fame, sex, and power, and they all bring death. Every one of them. But the message of the church is greater, and the gates of hell, the gates of our enemy Satan, will not prevail against God's advancing kingdom. They won't. We've been promised the ability to possess our enemy's gates. Now think about this, this phrase, the the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This does not suggest we are hiding in some impenetrable fortress. That's not what this is saying. Think about this. Like, like you can't attack somebody with a gate, right? Wouldn't that look weird? Like you grab a gate and like chasing somebody with it? No. Satan isn't attacking us with his gate. No, he's behind this gate and we're ever advancing on it. And the promise is, is we get to possess it. What he's saying is, is, is his unshakable community. We are the aggressors and the devil isn't safe from you. You thought about that? We are on the offensive. We don't hide in foxholes praying for the shelling to stop. That's not who you are. We are this advancing, unshakable Jesus community assaulting the very gates of hell. So then the question is, well, how do we do that, right? How do we do it? Well, let's look at what our passage in Genesis says. So because this promise was given, your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations be blessed because of what Jesus does. And why? Look at this. These words are very important. Because you have obeyed my voice. You have obeyed my voice. Obedience has always been the love language of Jesus. It has been. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And let me be clear here. This isn't out of some sense of obligation, although that wouldn't be wrong. Jesus is our king after all. But we do the work of the Lord out of a sense of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, I'm so grateful. So what would you have me do? And he gives us these commands. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit that he has sent us to help us overcome the evil works of the enemy, enabling us to obey our king's commands. I want you to look at this verse in John chapter 14. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. But guess what? You can't do that on your own strength. So then here's what Jesus says. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. I love that our king is so good. He tells us, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. But you know what? I understand you're going to need strength to do it. So here's the Holy Spirit. He gives us the means to be able to do it. That's incredible. We can't do it on our own, but Jesus, the Holy Spirit baptizer, gives us the power to do it. Our good king does the work. We simply have to step into the good work he's equipped us for and has already prepared for us. We possess the gates of our enemy. We storm the very gates of hell by loving our enemies and loving our neighbors. Seems like a weird way to advance, right? Love is is an incredible weapon for us. We overcome evil through prayer, fasting, love, truth, and suffering. Like those are the weapons of our warfare and God's kingdom advances. Our Jesus community, Connection Point Church, is meant to possess the gates of our enemy in the greater Lafayette area. It's meant to. So how do we do that? That's the question, right? By prayer walking places like Cincinnati Street in downtown Lafayette. We're possessing the enemy's gates there. Isn't that awesome? Yes, we are. By doing Bible studies in our 
County Community Corrections Facility. That's happening. By giving out Christmas cards to our neighbors. Do you know you can advance just through a Christmas card? Give them out. By helping our neighbors in need, put on Christmas for their families. By taking care of widows, looking after kids in foster care, giving away food and praying with people affected by food insecurity. We do that every week here. By participating in corporate prayer meetings. By talking about Jesus early and often with all those we come in contact with. There are so many ways we can storm the gates of hell in the greater Lafayette area. But the question is, in what ways are you doing it? Because it's for all of us to do. It's not just for some of us. We all get to joyfully participate in possessing our enemy's gates. Let's do that work. Because our Jesus community advances the kingdom of God in the greater Lafayette area and all around the world. And here's what we find in Scripture, that we must live in an unshakable Jesus community to endure to the end. So I want to tie this back to where we started. Part of endurance is living in Jesus' unshakable community. So part of what I want us to do as we work through this Better Together series is I want to tie all these things together that we've been talking about. And, and I want us to understand comprehensively the good news story that we're a part of. So I had summarized this good news story in the message on Jesus and missions. And here's the kingdom creed I shared with you. Jesus Christ, our King, is our Lord, Savior, and role model. You need to understand every part of that. The church is an assembly of people called out for a purpose. I didn't have that one, so I'm sticking it in today. God's word is our guide. Missions is our mandate. Holy Spirit, baptism is our power. Prayer, fasting, love, truth, and suffering are our weapons. God's presence is our promise. And what a promise that is, especially in this season. I love Emmanuel, God with us. Presence is the promise. The return of Jesus is our blessed hope for righteous justice and eternity with God and other believers. That's our reward. And what I want to do today is read and provide a narrative commentary. I want to take a look at Hebrews chapter 10. So if you've been listening to all of these series, uh, messages in the Better Together series, I hope you're starting to see how all of these things connect together because they do. And here's what we find in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. How are you doing holding tightly to the hope that we have? How are you doing this season? For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That's part of why we gather. Because apparently our default is not always to choose to engage in love and good works, right? Especially if people are, you know, acting in interesting ways. So, we motivate one another to love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. So again, this is part of the context of how do we endure to the end? We don't neglect meeting together. And whatever form that takes, be that in person or online, it's important that we still gather. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. And I talked about that on Jesus and End Times. Go back and listen to it. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have uh, if we continue sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. I talked about all of this in Jesus and end times. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, which made us holy as if it were common and unholy, and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. 
For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back. He also said the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. As we look at this passage in Matthew chapter 16, we see that Jesus is the son of the living God. But we also see in Jesus and in times that we have this uh, challenge to endure to the end. Well, how do we do that? It says right here, we don't forsake the assembly. We don't stop gathering. Remember how you remain faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. Again, suffering is one of our weapons. You accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that has been promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Jesus is coming again. And my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. And then what happens if you keep reading in Hebrews chapter 11? We have this cloud of faithful witnesses this 4,000-year-old rock quarry from which all of us were hewn, and we look to that and say, Jesus, I'm going to be among the faithful. How did these faithful people of God serve as our examples? We're provided with this encouragement to run our race with endurance, and the way that's done is in the context of community. All of this in Hebrews chapter 10 is all in the context of be faithful to the community which I've given you. We are a kingdom people, an unshakable Jesus community that motivates one another to love and good works. To be among the group that endures to the end, we must actively and meaningfully engage in a local Jesus community where we are genuinely known, lovingly supported, and honestly challenged. That's the community we're granted. And the way we've looked to do that this year is something we call life groups. I know a lot of you are in our life groups already, but if you're not, I'd like to encourage you Those life groups are still available online. You can sign up. We're actually talking to a number of other people to open up more life groups in the coming weeks. Why? Because we know it is so important that we stay connected, especially during this time. I'd love to see you in a life group. They meet in person or online because I know right now it's kind of a challenge to meet. So no matter where you're at, look, if you're in your living rooms, you can still meet online in community too. But it's important we're in community because to endure to the end, you've got to be closely connected to other believers who support you, who know you, and will challenge you. So what do we find in Scripture? We find we can endure to the end by living on mission with others and Jesus' unshakable community, the church. That's what we find. God's intention for Connection Point Church has been and continues to be that we live in a healthy, multiplying community of faith. So for five years, I'll be honest, that's really what we've been going after. And that doesn't mean we do it perfectly, but we're committed to figuring out the best way for us to live well in community, to grow more in love with who Jesus is, and to live well in community. Look, and if that's through connect groups and Sunday morning services and whatever other variation, we'll do that. But if that's going to be through some other means, then like life groups, then we're going to follow that too. It's an interesting year, right? Yeah. So we just want to follow Jesus and what his plan is for the church. And my encouragement is be in community. Be in community. The mission never changes, but the model might, right? So there's this phrase in church leadership we use. I always challenge our staff. Look, we marry the mission, but we date the model. 
Here's what I mean by that. We are married to the mission of Jesus, but we date the model that it takes for us to get there, right? But how many of us in church have done the opposite? We marry the model and we date the mission, right? Okay, well, we're not going to do that. We're going to stay committed to who Jesus is and the mission before us. And in whatever form that takes, we want to follow the Lord. So my encouragement is let's make sure we're all in a life group so that we're staying connected right now. And I would say this, here's the thing, you know, I think a lot of people are out there thinking, we'll just wait till this pandemic is over so that the church can thrive again. I've, I've heard people actually say that, but that's not right. That's not what I find in scripture. That's not the church that I read about in scripture. A community that puts things on hold or maybe somehow uh, assumes mediocrity or decline until a pandemic is over. I don't see that in scripture anywhere. That is not what we find. No, This is the time we thrive. Jesus promises that he will build his church and the very gates of hell cannot stand against it. So that's what we hold to, and even in this time. And I know that's gonna take different forms and shapes, and that's okay, but we know that Jesus' community is a healthy, multiplying one, and that's what we wanna be. I'm gonna invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. You have an opportunity to endure to the end. But the context of that is that we do that in community. So who's your community? Who knows you? Who supports you? Who challenges you? You need to have those people in your life. Maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what? I haven't really engaged in community because I just really haven't made any kind of decision to follow Jesus, but, but that's okay. You can still engage in community. And what I'm, what, I, what I'm confident in, Jesus rubs off on you. He just does. But today, maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I'd like to make that decision to follow Jesus and make him the center of my life. So with every head bowed in this room, that's where you find yourself today to say, you know what, I really need to devote my life to Jesus. My life is a mess. Maybe you came in this morning and your life is, is not where it should be and you know it. And so we never want to miss an opportunity for you to make a decision to follow Jesus today. But this is more than a prayer. It's more than a moment. It's a lifetime of following Jesus. And so this is just the first step in that. So who you heard today would say, I want to follow Jesus and, and put him at the center of my life. My life is not on track. It's not going where it should. And, and I know today that Jesus is the only one that can set it straight. Who here today would say, that's me. I want to follow Jesus and dedicate my life to him. God, we thank you that Jesus came, the son of the living God, We thank you that we can have the confidence of this 4,000-year-old quarry that we're a part of. We as living stones being put together. And Lord, that we, as the church, we live this unshakable kingdom that is promised to possess our enemy's gates. And so God, I just declare over this body that we will possess those gates wherever they are in this area. Lord, by prayer walking on Cincinnati Street, by going and visiting our community corrections. In whatever way that we have, Father, the way that we support fosters, those kids who are in foster care, God, I just pray that each and every one here today, that you would impart by your Holy Spirit how they can be a part of that kingdom advancing work. For they all have a, we all have a part to play. And so God, I just pray that if there are those that are here today that have not made a decision to follow you, I pray before they leave here today, they'd make that decision that they could have their feet firmly planted on the rock, you as our cornerstone. And Jesus, as we close in song today, I pray that we would sing this song as an anthem for our hearts, as we see who you are, what you came to do, and what our story is in the middle of all of that. 
Lord, we trust you for your greater work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.